0: Hello everyone,
1: this is Giulio Prisco, this is the Turing Church podcast, and for this episode I'm making a test to record a voice conversation on the Turing Church Discord server directly via Discord. Uh, I must say that uh, I don't know how this will work, because it's the very first time um, I do it. So for this, I have been joined by two uh, bots called uh, Craig and uh, Jayark, which is uh, Craig spelled in reverse. And these two guys should take care of uh, recording in the cloud. And uh, there is also Derek Fallon. Uh Welcome, and thank you very much for joining me, Derek. All right. It's good to be here uh this is mainly a recording test, but uh to have a discussion topic i am um, thinking to discuss uh, virtual reality and uh, i'll start by remembering that uh, a few years ago we used to do a lot of uh, online meetings of uh, organizations like Turing uh, Church, Church TerraSAM, various uh, transhumanist uh, groups in uh, virtual reality platforms. Uh, have you ever uh, been in VR environments, Derek, for example, the good old Second Life?
2: Um, no, no, unfortunately, like, I have not been able to uh, try it out yet. So you
0: know, really looking forward to it, though. I believe, you know, uh,
1: Second Life has quite a bad reputation now, but um, you know, mm, in the mid two thousands, like two thousand five, six, and seven, the end of the decade, it was considered a very big thing, and it was considered as the next big, big, big thing. In uh, in the Internet, uh, we, many people thought that uh, this idea of the metaverse would uh, materialize and that uh, everyone would be playing and working uh, in virtual reality in only a few years. Now, as it usually happens, it uh, took uh, more than a few years. But it seems that uh, the uh, virtual reality metaverse is beginning to take off now. Mm, You read a lot of things in the press, and uh, there are many companies developing very innovative things. And so I think perhaps uh, mm, VR will take off for good this time. And... uh, we should start uh, studying some options to uh, re-establish a presence in virtual reality. Uh, We were mostly using Second Life, which I must say from the technical point of view was not a bad system at all, and it was also very much ahead of its time. Uh, But for some reasons, uh, it uh, acquired a sort of bad reputation and people stopped taking it seriously. So we started doing uh, online meetings using Zoom, like everyone, uh, which is good and uh, much more convenient, or using systems like this one. But... uh, it's uh, really too bad that uh, you have not visited VR environments uh, because you can only take my words for uh, the fact that you get a sensation of being in a place with other people much, much more powerful than uh, using uh, standard video conferencing uh, environments. Uh, and uh, you know, perhaps this will work and perhaps uh, in one or two years we will all have to buy headsets and uh, restart meeting other people in
0: VR I personally look forward to that how do mm-hmm. you feel about it Eric uh-
2: yeah, so I think like uh, more like um, augmented reality kind of future is very exciting. Um, I think, you know, now like we can we have this imagination that's going on in our consciousness and we can uh, uh, see like through our mind's eye some images, right? So this is kind of like natural virtual reality or, you know, like in our dreams, we kind of like time travel uh, in our imagination. And this is also kind of like natural virtual reality that we experience regularly. So I think like it's kind of the evolution of, of um, you know, just experience that the imagination is, is manif- manifesting itself in, in the digital world, right? And so this is through actually like through VR and we'll be able to see it and it'll be a part of our daily lives and it'll be a new space uh, for us to be in. And and uh, yeah, I think that's very good for the world, very good for the future. I mean, right now we have some troubles with uh, expanding into space, even though that is like accelerating. Uh, so for now, like we might as well like venture out more into the digital space. Uh, with virtual
1: reality and augmented reality. Uh, yes, in fact, the you know uh, the line uh, between what you call virtual reality and what you call augmented reality uh, is not that sharp. For example, uh, once uh, mm, you know, it basically depends on the headset. If is a headset that entirely surrounds your head and doesn't let you see anything outside then you call virtual reality if uh, is uh, if the interface is a pair of glasses like reading uh, glasses that superimpose something maybe text to your visual field you call that uh, augmented reality but You know, the line is very fuzzy. There are many applications that one wouldn't uh, know whether to call uh, virtual or augmented reality. And uh, your point about imagination is quite good. In fact, if you think of it, a book is uh, some kind of virtual reality. Because if a story is uh, well told, then reading a book, uh, you start... uh, seeing images in your head and uh, the best writers use uh, word to pictures that really put you in a scene one of the problems is that you can never be sure if uh, your mental imagery while uh, reading a book is uh, similar to mine you don't know if uh you see with your imagination the same things that I see with my imagination. So perhaps we could uh, consider virtual reality as uh, a means to make sure that everyone has a common grounds for uh, guiding imagination in the same direction. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, no, I see that uh, uh, Gabriel, who, by the way, is uh, listening to us, uh, Gabriel Rothblatt, has said an interesting thing, eh? which uh, is, uh,
0: well, if I can find it, of course, maybe here,
1: Yeah, uh, there was a point about the fact that uh, accessing the metaverse is difficult for many people. Because maybe they don't have the equipment, they don't have uh, the expertise, they don't have time to learn, and all that. And this, I think, is mostly true. Mm, it was a problem for Second Life as well. Uh, because many people found it just too difficult to learn. And interesting things with Second Life was that uh, many people found it uh, extremely addictive and uh, wanted to spend all their time there. But uh, many other people, didn't find it uh, so interesting. And one of the reasons, perhaps, is that uh, it was too difficult to learn. Mm, And this is true. But uh, among the metaverse uh, platforms, which are emerging now, there are some that are very, very easy to use. Basically, there is no learning curve. Uh, And I'm thinking in particular of uh, the successor platform to a platform that I used a few years ago, which which went by different names. Um, At some point, it was called Teleplace, Uh, then it was called uh, Virtend. Another common name was Quack, Open Quack. And all these technologies had uh, um, a common uh, precursor, which was a project called Open Croquet, written croquet, uh, initiated uh, quite a while ago, like 25 or 30 years ago, by Alan Kay, who... uh, was and still is a very legendary computer scientist. The current incarnation of uh, this technology, which has been completely rebuilt using uh, today's computer technology, is still called Croquet, and uh, the website is croquet.io. C R O Q U E T dot io and uh, I have been following this uh, for quite some time and uh, recently I have become very excited about it because I see that things are developing very fast uh, so fast that uh, in in uh, only one week (coughs) and uh, in a rather easy way I was uh, able to put together a very simple but also very modern virtual world uh, which runs in the browser you don't need to download special software for it it has uh, an extremely intuitive and simple user interface, and uh, has so many other uh, unique selling points that I'm starting to be persuaded that this is the way to go. It's still a kind of experimental software. Mm, you could not build something like, like uh, World of Warcraft or Second Life, we did at this moment, but uh, I'm beginning to be pretty sure that uh, in one or two years uh, we would be able to use this technology to create uh, something like Second Life, even better. And something that can be used on a computer, but also on a tablet, also on a phone. You can enter a virtual world from the phone and navigate it with uh, fingers and voice chat. And, of course, it can also be used with virtual reality headsets for those who do have headsets. But uh, the most interesting thing is that it doesn't uh, require... A learning curve at all. It has an extremely intuitive interface. And uh, therefore, now I'm thinking that uh, in a few months or one year, this will be an option and a very good alternative to video conferencing. Video conferencing systems because again, uh, a virtual world gives you this very powerful feeling of being there and doing something with other people that you just don't get with video conferencing. Does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess I have a few ideas. Um, so one is, is back to your kind of early points about uh, virtual reality, um, about seeing something and having a consensus about the meaning of it. And even like in our kind of just casual like language, we say, I see what you mean, I see what you mean. And that's exactly what you're saying, right? So we're going to literally be able to see what people mean. And so, also these days with um, mid journey or some image, text to image generation, right? We type a text and then gen- generate an image. And so, I see like a really cool future where we could essentially speak something and then it would be manifested visually, just like right. we see now from text to image, right? So, right. this uh, is cool. a very
1: interesting connection because if uh, today mid journey, is able to generate uh, uh, visual images that are uh, more or less good. Well, I personally don't like too much the graphic style of BitJourney, uh, but uh, I must admit that, you know, it. Uh, I could not do that myself. <laughs> and the BitJourney does it uh, in a couple of seconds something that uh, it would take me a week and uh, I wouldn't be able to produce that good result. So besides the fact that I don't like that graphic style too much, um, I'm very much impressed by me journey as a designer of uh, 2D scenes. And I'm pretty sure that sooner or later, these systems will also design 3d scenes now uh in uh, virtual reality development and also the reason why developing something like a vr computer game is extremely expensive is that building good 3d models is kind of difficult you need special software you need expertise uh You know, it's a full-time job that very few people have a talent for. But, uh, you know, if uh, with the eye of your imagination you see uh, a future where uh, you will be able to ask uh, me, journey, uh, please uh, make me a 3D model of, of what? Let's say of the SpaceX launch facility. And uh, after adding a few other specification, Midjourney could generate a, th- a 3D model for you according to your specification and uh, giving you the result in the format that you want. Now, that uh, will be something that cuts down the cost of uh, developing scenes for the virtual reality metaverse. By several orders of magnitude. And I'm sure that will come sooner or later.
2: Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I didn't think of that, but that sounds like very, um, yeah. It's it's, very likely. It it makes sense. Yeah, it seems really likely. And I I think it's, um, yeah, really great idea.
1: Um,
2: And another idea I have is about like Apple. So I think, you know, there's been rumors of like an Apple VR and, headset and someday ar glasses right for like so many years and um i'm really like waiting for this like in relation to the adoption curve because you know eventually i would think that um you know everyone will have like headsets or some kind of ar glasses just like now everyone has like a samsung or an iphone you know so, yeah, if, do you have uh, any thoughts about the timeline if, uh, for uh, the, that, this adoption curve?
1: Uh, that would be very interesting to know. Things that, that we had uh, um, high performance headsets uh, for a few years now, with uh, the Oculus, which now is used by Facebook, and uh, you can buy it. Uh, you can buy it everywhere. You can buy it at Best Buy. It doesn't even cost that much. It costs uh, like four or five hundred dollars. But, well, for many people, five hundred dollars is a lot of money. So, that I think if these things uh, went uh, down to something like hundred bucks, that order of magnitude, a lot of people. Would buy them and uh, another possibility is that, as you say, mm, a company like uh, Apple could decide to put something on the market, perhaps uh, some kind of double-use VR, AR uh, glasses that are not very heavy, that are easy to use and uh, that are cheap enough that would be a game changer as well but uh, another point is that uh, you know using a headset is uh, a very immersive thing and uh, in some cases i've been in virtual scenes with really the impression of being there and doing things and seeing other people uh, touching things and interacting with, uh, with things the sensation of immersion is very powerful but uh, with the modern uh, technologies that uh, I was mentioning you don't need a headset because you can use your computer or you can use your iPad or you can use your phone and uh, the result is good enough, and I'm really impressed by the performance of uh, Croquet Virtual Worlds on uh, this iPad and on my iPhone, because you know it's not exactly the same thing as having a headset, but it comes close enough. You see the same mm-hmm. things; you only see it uh, on a little screen. Instead of seeing it all around you, but what I think is that the availability of uh, uh, visual words on uh, a little on the little screen of an iPad will also stimulate people to switch to the real thing, which will be a headset. Having said that I think it's very important that there is a fallback. Uh, an option of using any screen for those who do not have a
0: headset mm-hmm.
2: yeah definitely um can you tell me more about is it croquette uh can you tell me like what you like about it and how much time are you spending in vr these days and what do you do there you know not uh, i use the
1: to be a professional in VR until like uh, 10 years ago. I had a company, and we did a lot of development in Second Life, and then moved to other 3D platforms like Unity, uh, CryEngine, mostly for uh, application to things like uh, training, of for example, machine operators. For uh, that application, VR is a very good technology because uh, the trainee can use a virtual uh, replica of complex machinery without uh, having to work uh, yet with the real thing and uh, without any danger for himself or for the equipment. So that's a very typical application. So I used the Uh, like uh, 10 years ago to spend a lot of time in virtual reality then at some point uh, the business which used to be very good for a few years became less good after the recession of the end of the 2000s so I started to do other things and also realized that, that uh, the metaverse was not taking off yet and uh, that uh, we would have to wait a few years at least so until uh, something like last month I haven't uh, dedicated any time to virtual reality. Of course, I've kept reading and doing little experiments with things. But uh, I didn't invest uh, too much thinking in it. But uh, in the last couple of months, and after seeing the very fast uh, uh, progress that this uh, technology is doing, I have become interested again because uh, I see A possible future where uh, now the metaverse could start uh, taking off like we expected uh, 10 years ago. And uh, that would be very interesting.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. You know, I'm kind of curious, like... What your perspective is on what was going on in in maybe the mid-90s and around 2000 um, about VR. Because, you know, I listen to a lot of Terrence McKenna. And so Mm -hmm. Terrence Terrence McKenna, you know, talks a lot about uh, VR and about, like, uh, the internet um, and also psychedelics and other things as well. Um, also botany and evolution, such like cultural things. Um, but anyways, like, um, what was the problem at that time? Was it the hardware? Was it the platform? Was it the software? Was it uh, the storage? Like, why didn't it take off?
1: All these things together we had uh, very primitive hardware and very primitive software compared to the resources that are needed to enjoy a virtual reality world. There were good VR systems at that time, but they tended to be in places like NASA or the Department of Defense. Right. Uh and uh, the virtual reality pioneers, people like uh, Jerome Lanier, and perhaps even Terence McKenna, they had the opportunity to see these things in uh, places like uh, university, research department, but uh, most people did not have uh, any means to access VR. Very few people even had even had the home internet connection at that time. Right. Uh, the hardware uh, was not powerful enough. The communication bandwidth, which is also important, extremely important, was not fast enough. Software was not good enough. The interface devices existed because uh, they had uh, research uh, prototypes of things like uh, headsets, for example, for military applications, but they were not affordable. And at the same time, they were too difficult to learn for the average consumer. So that uh, in the 90s, these things were uh, for uh, very few people, and certainly not for the masses. In the mid-2000s, with uh, the explosion, because it was really an explosion of uh, Second Life, it seemed that, that finally uh, a good enough technology was available to average users. And uh, Second Life was growing very, very fast, exponentially. I remember faster. that. It was growing exponentially fast for a couple of years but the thing is uh, mm, you know the hardware was still not good enough and uh, the software was still not good enough and uh, uh, the communication was too slow so that it was kind of a false alarm but uh, the technology that we have today i think is good enough and I think uh, many people will uh, realize that soon.
0: Mm-hmm. I think. Okay. So. Yeah. Thank you for the history recap. Yeah.
1: So that um, you know now, um, I've been doing these uh, experiments essentially in the last couple of weeks. Now I have to stop because uh, I'm uh, going to the US for a few weeks. And uh, I won't have uh, time or inclination to do technical things there. But as soon as uh, I come back in the summer, then I want to start... uh, dedicating some time to this project and I have been thinking that uh, it would be good to start uh, developing a prototype a virtual world for uh, Turing Church and TerraSema meetings
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that sounds good Yeah um... Yeah, and having this conversation, it just kind of reminded me how, like, I definitely want to get more involved with uh, VR and, and definitely have my own personal experience in the VR space. And so I'm going to make that, like, um, just, you know, raise that higher on my priority list and, and and try to do that as soon as possible. Yeah, you know, if... Um, you and there could uh... be some, like, place here, like, some, like... Um, like I don't know a cool location where they provide that experience, so I could try it out. Uh,
1: uh you can uh, you can have it uh, you can have it on your PC. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, there is uh, one that also Gabriel is using, something called Virbella, Virbela. V i r b e l a. Uh, which is a good starting point, I believe. Mm -hmm. It's a place that simulates uh, virtual uh, office uh, towers that you can go inside and you can rent an office. Uh, All is a nice campus. Uh, It's good to get the very first feeling. And then Mm -hmm. if you want to buy a headset, there are a lot of uh, very good virtual experiences that come with the headset itself. Mm-hmm. But once again, I would recommend that first uh, you experiment with uh, virtual reality on screen, right. and uh, then move to the headset. You know, the experience mm-hmm. that you have when you use a headset the first time is really mind-blowing, because you are really there.
0: Cool. Yeah. Can I ask you
2: some weird questions? Oh, sure. Okay. My, let's get weird. That's, uh, that's my favorite kind of question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I think the topic of, like, life inside virtual space is interesting. Um, And we have some, like, biological, like, substrate that, you know, we deal with as humans. <laughs> um, So there's this old, a little bit cheesy Disney movie called Tron. And so in this Tron, um, it's maybe like 10 years old. It's a remake of the original. and uh, so, the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen both. Yeah.
2: Yeah, right. So Tron, uh, the, the whole thing is like this father and son enter into this digital space, this virtual reality. They get kind of stuck there. They have to find their way out. But in the process, you know, this digital life, these digital kind of humans, these beings are, are created this is very interesting about like conscious digital life existing in virtual space. And then the second interesting thing I I thought about recently is um, something that maybe I would call like the I, 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 like an interdimensional intergalactic internet. Like I was thinking, what if the internet existed, but across the universe, Mm -hmm. you know, then you would need to, Right, then you need to connect galaxies together, mm-hmm. right? And then maybe across, like, it would be across time okay. and across I, uh, space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it could be like an interim, interdimensional, right. intergalactic internet. Yeah, 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 and yeah. so I think that could also be some interesting experience where there's a virtual space, but you're, you're talking to people in, like in a far distant place in space, maybe not human, maybe extraterrestrial as well. Right. So, um, this is the kind of view of life in
1: virtual reality. Well, interesting. But let's start with uh, Tron. Mm, I have seen both films, uh, and I must say that I liked uh, the first one more than the second. I mean, the second mm-hmm. was good, but uh, the first one was a masterpiece, and uh, it was very new at that time. The concepts in the film were very new for many people. And uh, the concept that was really new was uh, something that went beyond virtual reality. The real core concept of the film, I think, was uh, the concept of mind uploading, the concept that uh, some technology could extract extract a person from a biological body and insert that person in a virtual reality world, like a computer game, with uh, a possibility for going back as well. And of course, in the 80s, I believe, I think the first Tron came out in the early 80s. I guess. I must have seen it in something like uh, 82 or 83, maybe something like that. It was a very new concept, but uh, the possibility of mind uploading
0: was very far. Uh, And there was
2: also a movie called Lawn Mower Man. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, sure.
1: Uh, it didn't have this aspect. It was only Tron. Of course, mm. uh, Tron did not show you how the technology of mind uploading worked. It just gave you the idea that there was uh, something uh, electric and uh, with a lot of light uh, going on between uh, you and the computer. But uh, we, did know, we did not know how to do mind uploading at that time. And we do not know how to do mind uploading now. Uh, We're not going to know it uh, for a few decades at least, I believe. It's something I see happening by the end of the century. But uh, I'm also persuaded that sooner or later we will have the technology for mind uploading. And at that point, um, the option to transfer consciousness from uh, the physical real world to a virtual reality world will exist. And at that point, I believe many people will choose to spend uh, their life in virtual reality. And if you read the science fiction novel of uh, uh, Greg Egan, Are you familiar with him? No. Greg Egan is uh, one of the best science fiction writers around. He's an Australian writer. Uh, You have uh,
0: future people living their
1: life in uh, virtual worlds generated by computers. So this will be the case sooner or later.
0: Not for us. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. But uh, I think our grandchildren will have this option. I think so. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah. And what do you think about my interdimensional, intergalactic internet?
1: Mm, It's not the same... uh, there are two different ideas, not one idea. So let's uh, uh, start with the interstellar internet first. There you um, come, yeah. Which is uh, something that is actually being studied. Um, how does it work? Um, you know, um, general relativity implies that uh, a massive thing like a star has something called the gravitational focus, which uh, works uh,
0: like the focus of a lens, but
1: for gravitation instead of light. Uh, If you place yourself near the gravitational focus point of a big star like the sun uh, you can receive extremely faint signals from other stars which would be amplified hundreds of millions of times perhaps so that uh, you know, uh, by using uh, some special technology and special data analysis techniques, if uh, you went to the point that corresponds to the gravitational focus of the Sun, you could see high-resolution pictures of uh, planets around other stars, like the high-resolution pictures of the Earth that we see on Google Maps. It would be an extremely powerful technology. Now, where is the catch? The catch is that uh, the gravitational focal point of the Sun is uh, uh, like 500 astronomic units. So it's much, much, much farther beyond uh, Uranus and Neptune. It's, uh is almost in interstellar space. So getting there is not something that uh, we will be able to do next year. It will take some time. But uh, with the incredibly high amplification factor of radiation, uh, an observatory near the gravitational focal point of a star would be an ideal place to put something like an interstellar internet router, because you would be able to receive very faint signals sent from distant stars. So the idea is uh, that uh, really advanced civilizations have an interstellar internet based on transmitters and uh, receivers uh, placed uh, at these uh, strategic locations, and uh, they are just uh, waiting for us to develop the technology to reach uh, the gravitational focal point of our star and build Mm. equipment there to join the interstellar internet. This is something that might well happen in uh, one or two centuries, but uh, your other point was uh, even more interested, even more interesting, because uh, you're really talking of something like uh, telepathic communication through extra-dimensional channels that uh, work around the speed of light and uh permit uh, establishing uh, instantaneous communication all over the universe like uh in a magic world that's uh that was the picture that came to my imagination listening to you is that what you have in mind
2: yeah that's pretty much what i mean because like the situation here on earth right now is that you know we are like humans at this time and we have a certain like like a spectrum of sensory perception right we see things in a certain way we hear things we touch things we smell things we taste things in a certain way you know some kind of extraterrestrials may have like a different spectrum of like sensory perception and Mm -hmm. they might create a different kind of internet they may be far advanced right um and so it may just be a hardware problem that right now we have just one kind of localized internet here on earth, but if we had some kind of proper hardware, we might find our ways, our ways to stumbling upon some kind of internet beyond the one we have, some kind of, uh, like you said, interstellar internet. That, uh, I think, uh, is definitely a possibility, you know,
1: that... Uh, like, what if alien
2: contact actually happens in the virtual space first before it happens in the, in the physical space?
1: Mm, I, cannot, uh, I cannot rule that out, and I think I must have read some uh, science fiction stories based exactly on that idea. None comes to my mind at this moment. But uh, I'm sure I have read something. Yeah. Um, it, I will uh, and some, mm. I' thank you something, but mm, you know, it would have to be hardware, very different uh, from what we have now. Perhaps we wouldn't even call it hardware. Mm.
2: Yeah, and so like to circle back around to my point of asking these questions, I think that life, right, like real life, real conscious beings you know, existing in a virtual space is really important and can, like, provide us, you know, some new and meaningful experiences of, of, relation, of relationships and connection with one another. That's exciting. Oh.
1: Well, I certainly, I certainly think so. And uh, you should really read uh, Greg Egan's uh, science fiction. He's a writer who really focuses on these things. Uh, Another thing that uh, really comes to my mind, speaking of these uh, magic-like technologies, is that uh, the people who do what is uh, called uh, paranormal research, ESP, Mm -hmm. PSI, would say... That, uh, you know, this, the thing that they are studying, will permit developing exactly the technology that uh, we are talking of. And, you know, I cannot rule out that uh, they are right. The brain is a complicated thing, life is a complicated thing. And, uh, you know, that uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes is from shakespeare and uh, it is there are more things in heaven and earth that are uh, 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 dreamt uh, by your philosophy there are a lot of things that we do not understand yet and i believe uh, sooner or later science uh, will give us a big surprise and perhaps uh, we will be able to establish uh, telepathic communication with all sorts of life forms in the universe of physical reality or in a metaverse of virtual reality?
0: Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you. It's quite interesting indeed.
1: Uh, I will have to go in a while, but uh, Grigian, thank you very much for joining me. Ah, what does yeah. uh, what does Gabriel say? Ah, he's uh, uh typing in this channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, you can do that in Discord. You write uh, in the text channel and uh, you talk in the voice channel. Uh, Gabriel says like uh, 20 minutes ago what if the metaverse is powered by an avatar created from your mind file and uh, instead of putting a person in VR we project what their avatar does which uh, I think is uh, a very realistic option For uh, when we will have uh, uh, appropriate technology to give life to a mind file, which uh, is not the case yet. Unfortunately, all these things uh, are too much in the future for us, I believe, but this will be definitely an option in the future. And the idea is that uh, when your grandfather dies,
0: mm, he will just
1: continue to live in a virtual world and you will be able to visit your grandfather in a virtual world. Again, mm, I think it's a very realistic option, but not in 2023, perhaps in 2093.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, uh, you know, it's good
1: to know that our grandchildren will have this option.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's um, very meaningful. I watched um, Extrapolations. I'm watching Extrapolations. It's a series on Apple TV Plus, and uh, It's always interesting to see, like, whenever there is some kind of fictional stories about mind files and and people's interaction um, with them. Um, Yeah, I think that'll be, like, um, really cool to, like, share our memories with each other um, and also to store and to save our own memories um, as well. And, um, yeah, that's really cool.
1: All these things will come. Too bad, uh, they will come too late. Mm-hmm. OK, so now I'm going to ask uh, the recording bots to stop recording session. So first, uh, this one. I'm going to press Stop Recording. And uh, JaiArc has ended. Now I'm going to ask uh, Craig to stop the recording.